Couch Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hello, this is Chal Ravens from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, Red Bull Radio's podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. Geraldine Patton, better known as Jalen, is proof that geography has no bearing on success in the internet era. Born and raised in the industrial town of Gary, Indiana, Patton is now one of electronic music's leading women. While her soundscapes are rooted in footwork's blistering rhythms, they also reimagine the parameters of the genre. After discovering footwork while studying math at university, Patton began ditching classes to study music from genre pioneers like R.P. Boo and DJ Rashad. As she developed as a producer, she befriended Boo and Rashad on MySpace, and in 2011, her track Erotic Heat caught the attention of Planet Mew founder Mike Paradinus, who included it on the label's Bangs and Works Volume 2 compilation. Not convinced that her music would sustain her financially, Patton worked at a local steel mill while she composed her universally acclaimed 2015 debut Dark Energy. Her second album, Black Origami, received even greater praise for its bold deployment of punishing percussion and rhythms from around the world. While she's already expanded the limits of footwork and forged a path for women in the still male-dominated world of electronic music, Patton continues to chart new territory. In September of 2018, she released Autobiography, the score for her collaboration with renowned British choreographer Wayne McGregor. In this episode of Couch Wisdom, recorded at the 2018 Red Bull Music Academy in Berlin, Jalen told me about her painstaking compositional techniques, her collaborations with Holly Herndon and William Basinski, and much more. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. One word that you have used to describe your music previously is naked. Yes, um, naked, vulnerable. Um, because I mean, this, this when I create, that's that's the space that I'm creating from. That I'm, you know, creating from a very vulnerable state, creating from the core of my being, and then presenting it into the, you know, the rest of you know you guys to hear. And it is just very naked, and it's it's raw, and that's why I describe it as naked like that. Yeah. Um, especially with dance music with electronic music there can be such an urge to categorize and put things in genres and subgenres so we right for sure oh yeah <laughs> and you were perhaps always aware that you didn't want to end up in that yeah i um and I, I i created and from a space where you know like i said you know i'm just I'm just creating. I love to, you know, I love to compose music. So, you know, like a lot of times, like I, I do understand, you know, like when a journalist is writing or, you know, like you have writers and people interviewing you, they, um, for reference purposes, they, you know, you put something into a category. I, I definitely get that. But then also times what I started to realize that was happening is that writers would just start repeating what they heard another publication say. And so I got tired of hearing Jalen steel mill and footwork in the same it just it got aggravating and so i literally one day i tweeted out and said please somebody write something different so um because i just get i get tired of hearing this i'm so much more than that and it just you know then i started when when black origami came out that really was an album i think that really started to kind of challenge the the writer was the person this this actually told was the journalist even actually really listening because at that point i had really yeah i'm serious because it really got to the point where it was like were you actually listening or did you just hear like a publication say Jalen footwork and then you just started repeating it because it became like chinese telephone after a while i was just like jesus i mean is this what we've come to with writing we love like, to repeat each other yeah. stuff. <laughs> Just recycle that other. other it was stuff. just, you know, it was just, it, it just, you know. So I had to. I ended up having to like really explain myself quite, you know. And then it got to a point. Then I remember like the worst thing that's ever happened to me, journalism-wise, is when I actually had. I was going in here. Is <laughs> when I had a journalist come up to me, and he wanted to interview me. It was a Skype call and. He's like, so your name is Jalen? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, so what do you do? You rap? And I said, oh, this interview's over. And I, you know, I went back and I told, um, you know, my label, you know, you guys, hey, um, 
please make sure the person at least knows what it is that I do because I, this isn't cool. Like, it's, it's not cool. It's, al- it's already bad enough. I'm getting pigeon held. Now I got to be, I have to deal with somebody who doesn't even know what it is that I do. I said, I can't do that. That's not, we can't, do, can't work like that, you know? Yeah. So you don't rap? No, I don't rap. <laughs> Scratch that. No. <laughs> um, so let's just go back to Erotic Heats. That came out mm. in 2011. Yeah. But did yeah. you make it? A little bit before that, I guess. I mean, um, yeah, you- I made it actually before that. I made Erotic Heat was actually in, um, at the end of, I think it was like actually right at the end of 2009, early 2010. And so, so, could you sort of set the scene for us in terms of like where you were when you made it? Can you I was that? actually terrified when I made it because <laughs> it had, it had, um, I was w- working on like making like footwork tracks, but then like I remember like it was a turning point in my career when I had, Sample, Tina Marie's Portuguese Say Love, and I, like I always do, I have my mom come in and sit on the end of my bed, do this to this day, and she listens to the track I make. She's always the first person to listen. And, <laughs> and so what happened was, I had done this track and where I sampled Tina Marie, and she's like, it sounds good, but what do you sound like? She said, I know what Tina Marie sounds like, but what do you sound like? And I was like, you know, that's a hell of a good question. What do I sound like? Because I didn't know myself, so... I, um, that's when Erotic Key came out. Now, the thing about it was at that time, because I was so, um, even at that time myself, thinking that I was so embedded into footwork, I'm like, this isn't gonna be acceptable because it doesn't even sound like a footwork track, you know? And so that, and I was scared to put it out, but then when I, some, I just put, I remember putting it on face, um, Facebook on the videos where you could upload videos and I, I put it up there and I got such a response to it and one of the responses was Mike Paradinas from Planet Moo who says I have to have this on this compilation it is imperative that this is on there like you it, this has to be on this compilation so um, that's how it started. And when you say it didn't sound like footwork, I mean, specifically, it's it, the lack of samples, for it was instance? The, it was the lack of, no, it was the way that I was, I don't know, because there are samples in it, but there was, it was the way that it was this, Chicago footwork has such a, this is a distinct sound. You know it when you hear it. It's a very, you know, it's like, it's like you have this foot on the floor, you have these, um, you either, like, it, there's a, the, the, the repetitive, the sounds of the repetitiveness of the way that the track is moving. Most tracks are usually at, um, 160, you know, it's like a solid tempo of 160, um, and so it's like, you know, you, you, it's it's kind of those things like you 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 know it when you hear it, and so and this was very erotic. He was just so all over the place. It was just like, well, where does this kind of go into? Yes, yeah, <laughs> type of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and also kind of separating you from the footwork thing. You're not yeah. from Chicago. No, I'm not from Chicago. I'm from Indiana. I, that's a, a lot of people think that I'm from Chicago because, you know, but I'm not. I'm from Indiana. I'm an hour outside. So, yeah. Uh, a town called Gary. Yeah, I'm from Gary, yes. Not the only prominent musician from Gary, Indiana. No. <laughs> Anyone? Michael Jackson. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Freddie Gibbs also. Yeah, Freddie Gibbs as um, well. Can yeah. you just tell us... Like what's what's Gary like? Um, Gary is it's an industrial town. It's um as a matter of fact, like I worked in the steel mill myself for four years. Um, it's an industrial town, small town. I think the population of about now has gone down tremendously. I think it's about maybe eighty thousand now. So it's, it's you know it's just a small town. Um, and it's you know for me it's um I mean, it's always been home for me. I was born and raised there. I still live in the same um, house that I you know grew up in, I'm still at home. So when people ask me, what do I do? I usually just tell them I'm a professional bum. And, um, you know, so I'm, you know, but it's, 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 that's always been home for me. And so, I, you know, I love home and I um, just, you know, love being there when I'm not, you know, on the road, yeah. <laughs> um, so what happened was Rick Owens, the fashion designer, <laughs> used that track in his fashion show a few years later. Yeah. Yeah, in 2013. And that kind of kicked off a pretty hectic, hectic period yeah. uh, for you. Yeah, Rick Owens got the, the train started. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were you... So just to, just to be clear, what were you doing in that kind of period between 2011, 2014? You were just, like, making tracks. I was just... Yeah, I was just... 
I have to when I have to compose like I have to breathe. Like I I just love doing it. So like during that time, yeah, I was working. I had just started working at the steel mill in 2012. I just got hired in. So I was working. I had just crossed my probation period. And so um, at the job, and so I was working on that. And then all of a sudden, yeah, like Rick Owens just came out of nowhere and hit my label up. And then my label introduced us. And then he told me what he wanted me to do. And I was like, it didn't dawn on me who he was until like, I think I, had, I was getting off midnights at work and I laid down and I thought about it and I was like, wait a minute, Rick Owens, Adidas Rick Owens? Like, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I went to look it up and it turns out I'm like, oh my God, yeah, this is that same guy. <laughs> and so um, I was like, yeah, it was just, I was, you know, like as fast as the moment came though that I was excited was as fast as it left because I was like, I want to put the work into this. And I told him, I said, because he wanted me to remix it. And I was like, I'm not remixing Erotic Heat. I said, I'll remake it though. And so I did. I, there's a 13-minute version of Erotic Heat. Um, if you come to the, uh, the 4D show, you'll hear it because that's the last track I'm closing with. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so after that point, it, you kind of blew up because <laughs> by, by the end of 2015, uh, your debut album had come out, which was in many, many end-of-year lists. I think it was The Wire's number one album of that year. Oh Your track, Expand, was New York Times' number eight track of that year. <laughs> so you kind of... I was of, at work when that happened. You were at work? I was at work. Like I had everybody calling me, and I was at work. I was literally... My mom's like, you're in the New York Times and you're number eight. I think I was right under Missy Elliott's um, I'm Better, if I'm not mistaken. That makes sense, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and I was like... And then I think, like, it was, I was in between... Her and Madonna, like between those, it was which is we, it was the craziest thing. It was like wow, I couldn't. And Holly was in Mexico, and I had to call her and tell her. Right, the track yeah, is a collaboration the track was, yeah, with Holly Herndon. With Holly Herndon, yeah. So I called Holly from work, and I'm like, "Yo, we're in the New York Times," and she's like, "Shut up." And I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I'm serious." And she's like, no. "She's like, send me the link right now." And so I'm like, "Okay." So I sent it to her, and she was like, "That's bizarre," because we had, we that was an experiment for us. We literally did that track as an experiment. We had that's how we met she heard erotic heat and she's like hey you know I'm gonna just shoot you some stems and you just do what you want to do with them and next thing I know expand came out and we were just doing it for fun we didn't know it would go to the extent that it did um so I said at the beginning that uh us copycat writers are really struggling to think of some some good words um I mean obviously footwork is the kind of basic root here somewhere mm. um, but quite often I think your tracks just feel like they you know they're just this sweet generous they kind of come out of nowhere and um, I guess c comparisons are rarely invoked for you but at mm. the same time like everybody listens to music growing up and mm. you know what what did you like when you were a kid when I was a kid I liked listening to I love Shadé like I love Shadé you might and, get to that yeah so um, Shadé is my favorite artist in the world. Um, so that's what I grew up listening to. I grew up listening to um, Phoebe Snow and Phyllis Hyman and um, Anita Baker, Rochelle Farrell. Um, I went into, um, so funny because then I, when I went, got to like my high school years, I was, I hit like the whole the Evanescence and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and it was just it's like, it was just such a, it was a- I think we're the same age. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was just like, yeah, it was, and I was in, you know, and um, like, you couldn't tell me, like, there was, I know it's probably funny, but like, I thought uh, Britney Spears' Toxic song was the shit when it, when I first heard it, yeah. so, yeah, it was like, that's my jam. Did you play any instruments, or? Um, no, I actually, I took, um, I had exactly two piano lessons, but then <laughs> I later, you know, I discovered actually that math and music are exactly the same, and that's something that Herbie Hancock talks about quite a bit. And so, um, like, I, I discovered they really are exactly the same, even when I'm sitting down, like, to write music now, when I, it's when I can't figure something out, or if I'm trying to, you know, I've, you know, I've just kind of learned that they're the same language, but I think I had to grow into that, you know. It, just one of those things, that it, it, that, it was, that was more of a, like a learning experience over time. And you studied maths? 
as well. Yeah, I took um yeah, I I at least that's how it started. And then um I later I I had uh, dropped out and um I took on um I used to instead of going to uh class like I was supposed to be doing, um I used to go to the library and make music and that's how this all actually got started. But the weird thing is before I would start making music, I used to go to to like to my university early in the morning at like six o'clock in the morning and I would just work out calculus problems on the board when nobody was there and I used to just do this do this for like at least like maybe three or four hours and then I would go to the library and do music for the rest of the day which was like really weird I don't know what was going on at that time in my head (laughs) um so over time you've kind of branched away from the the footwork connection but I'm interested Mm. in like when you first encountered it what was your relationship with Chicago footwork I was four when I first heard it I was four years old and I never heard anything like it so you know when you hear something that you feel is amazing and you never heard anything like it like you're trying to find more of it as you know as much as you can and that became like something I used to listen to all the time and um then when I was in um high school we ended up doing a talent show that had it was actually a a footwork routine a dance routine and um we we didn't end up doing the routine though but like it you know like I just I never forgot that sound and it just it stuck with me it was one of those things like you know like it it stood out because I had never heard anything like it before yeah and then did you start getting involved and going to Chicago dancing no no. <laughs> so you were always no. Actually- you know what's so funny? Yeah, this, I'm a, this is the saddest thing ever, and, and I know people are gonna be like, "Jay, that is an abomination." But um, I have never been to a Chicago footwork battle ever, and um, they're like, "But you live right in Indiana. There's no excuse for that." And I'm like, "Actually, there is. Like, I used to work like 96 hours a week. So when I was working, I used to when I was working in the steel mill, I used to work like around the clock, and so." Um, it was, you know, I just, it was just, I never really, it's not that I didn't want to, I just never, my timing was just so crazy. And, um, but but it's funny though, because they actually, you know, I had a lot of Chicago food workers that actually performed with me at the Pitchfork show in, when we were in Chicago. They were on the stage with me at the same time, which I was very honored by because um, that was such a last minute thing when that actually happened. A lot of people were like, was that planned? I'm like, no, it wasn't. It was just very, it was, I was honored that they would be willing to do that for my show, so. Yeah. And are there particular um, footwork producers who you feel more kind of, in line with it's not you know it doesn't all sound the same obviously um yeah like I mean for sure I mean you have like you know the the pioneers like um you have you know you have R.P. Boo you have Rashad you have you know Clint you have Tracksman you know and Dion and you have you know all these you know different um you know producers and all the guys that pioneered and but I honestly have to say the person that I felt the most in connection with, even though he's like passed away now, was probably Rashad, because Rashad had no limitation on what he would do or what he would try, as you know, musically. And I really liked that he never stayed in his, he never stayed in the box, and he, you know, he was trailblazing up until he, you know, passed away, and you know, it was just, it was, it was amazing to witness, actually. Yeah. Um. Footwork is obviously, uh, can be very functional music. I mean, footwork itself is a dance, it comes mm. out of that. Um, but I think with your music um, and thinking of your story, it often, it provides quite a personal listening experience. I mean, I listen to it on headphones. It's like a very one-on-one relationship in some ways. And I wanted to ask you if there's any particular music that you have had that kind of very personal communion with that very like one-on-one relationship yes recently especially philip glass philip glass um and i know that's probably like i just heard the reaction from the audience when i said philip glass they were like i'm sure they were like wait whoa 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 we just did a 180 but no i uh if if you if you guys ever get a chance if you haven't done it already uh one of the most genius albums i've ever heard was uh philip glass's when he for uh the movie the hours that soundtrack is that is a classic like that like i've just blown away honestly um another uh person who i feel like i can really connect with as well musically um when i hear their music is um 
and and her personality as well as Eartha Kitt. I really feel that I, I can definitely connect with her as just soon. On the, I always said if I can make my music move, dance like Earth the Kid, I think I'd be batting a thousand. So it's easy. It's, it's it's so easy to be trendy. It's hard as hell to be authentic though, and that's what a lot of artists. What that separates an artist who's a classic from an artist that's just gonna fall off as a trend, who just have their 15 minutes of fame, because you have unfortunately like on the radio now. You're listening to five artists and out of five different artists and out of the four songs, they probably have the same producer. And it's just like, you know, which to me is, is it, 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 it's a state of hypnosis now. And it's, it, you know, it, I don't even know what's like new anymore when people ask me about like different artists and they're like, have you heard this? Or have you heard that? And I'm like, no, you know, because it's, it's kind of hard listening to the same thing, even when I'm in a, in, in a setting where I'm in a, a, a club, you know, like in a club setting or a festival setting, and I'm walking in and I've heard the same four on the floor beat for the past, it's been five artists who played, and four of them have played that same rhythm, and then I'll come in and I'll play behind them, and they're like, this was so amazing, you were the best artist in the show, and it's like, no, not necessarily, it's just that you've been sitting here listening to the same thing for the last six hours, and it's like, where do we stop? You know, like that's why I love, you know, artists who, who are innovative and they're not being trendy because it takes audacity to be authentic. It, it's, it's an audacity. It's a boldness. It's a willing to be humiliated to, to do that. And a lot of artists don't understand that. I'm not just when I'm up there playing or I create something, I'm not just creating or I'm, that's what I mean when I say my music is naked because I am creating from the core. I'm not trying to be trendy. I'm not doing this so to say for you to tell me, Jalen, this was great. I'm doing this because that's who I am as a person. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, so let's get into some specifics. And uh, one of the things that I guess, well, tell me a little bit how you tried to find that authenticity, break away from the sounds that you're already hearing and something about what it is that is kind of unique about, about what you do. Um, well, when my mom posed that question to me and said, what do you sound like? That was immediately, that made me wonder, like, I mean, that, that was that wonder, what do I sound like? Where do I fit in to this whole grand scheme of music of whatever, you know? It was just like, where, what is my sound? So when I, you know, when I created Erotic Heat, I was like, you know, man, I mean, you know, I've, I've never heard anything like it, you know, <laughs> it was new for me. So I was just like, okay. And then I just kind of rolled with it and I was like, ah, okay, you know, and it just, it, that, it grew on me, you know, it was like, I, it's not that I discovered a sound or it just, it, it was more so like I, I, I took a journey and, you know, the sound found me and, we embraced it, you know, it's, we, I embraced it, and, and it's ever-evolving. That's the thing. It's not just one thing, you know, which is why the, with the music, like with the ballet, with autobiography, is so different. There's so many different scales of, you know, how it, you know, sounds, because all of that is me. I think duality is really important. Versatility is really important, really, I think, in anything you do. And having a duality, you know, is, 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 is to me is a nice touch because as, when you're versatile as an artist, it says, I can do more than one thing. I can do more than two things. I can do three things. You know, however many things you can do, I can tie this in with that thing, you know. And, like, that's why me and, you know, Wayne McGregor works so well together because it's just like, I can, t I can, he tells me his vision and then I can just tie it in together. You almost become, a, it's like being a chameleon. I, I, I enjoy, I like being that chameleon, I have to say. <laughs> uh, Wayne McGregor is the choreographer uh, of autobiography, which is your new ballet school. We'll get to that, we'll get to that. Um, can you just describe your studio setup for us? Then? Yeah, my studio setup is very, actually I'm about to demolish it when I go back home because I'm tired of it. Um, <laughs> But my studio setup consists of, um, I have my, my laptop, and I have Genelec speakers, the um, 8020s, I have those. I have, a, um, I have two Ableton Push 2s. I have uh, the Machine 2. I, have, I gave away my, I had the Akai 
uh, pro the MIDI, but I gave it away to a friend. Um, and I just have like, you know, just of course, like all of, I use contact. I'm sure everybody, you guys are well aware of contact and the new one coming out and all that. And um, <laughs> I use, I'm a native instruments. I'm an Ableton user. I use FL Studio. I use Reason 5 and 6. Um, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> whatever mood I'm in, <laughs> it's just kind of, you know, it's what I use where I feel like I can, um, I'm predominantly though, I use FL Studio, but I will definitely go into Reason 5 and 6. So that's kind of how my setup is like right now. But like I said, I'm going to currently go and destroy the whole thing when I go home. So. <laughs> Uh, so the first album, let's not misread this. So it's, the title is Dark Energy. Yes, because everybody kept calling it Dark Matter for like the longest. <laughs> <laughs> not Dark Matter. Um, in, in an old interview, uh, mm. you, you once said that you create from a place that is the belly of the beast. Yes. But I, I don't want to misread what dark energy means in this kind of scenario. So tell me a bit about that, because I think, it, again, it can be easy to get into the tortured genius myth that somehow yeah, you have no, to be Yeah, no, that's not what that means at all. The, the belly of the beast, when I say what that, what that means is that I create from a space that is uncomfortable. When I say that, I don't mean that I'm in a tortured space. That means that I'm, having, I'm being forced to find, to create from my core. And a lot of people I have found, especially over like now I'm a 10 year time span, won't do that. You know, like I won't use MIDI patterns from myself or from an old track. Like I refuse to. And people are like, so do you use loops or do you use your own MIDI? And I'm like, absolutely not. Every time I create a track, I create, it is a new sequence for me I, because every track is its own entity and they're all standalones. I'm not going to go borrow from Nia Kenyu or Rise to put it in Guantanamo. Like that's just ridiculous. Um, but, it's, but as far as like, you know, I just create from this, but that, when I create from the belly of the beast, that means that I am like a, like a diamond. When you, when, when at a diamond, before it becomes a diamond, you see this piece of coal, nobody pays attention to it. It's just, ah, it's a piece of coal. Then all of a sudden it goes under this tremendous amount of pressure. And the pressure is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that, you know, when in society, unfortunately, the society that we live in, when you say pressure, you think it's bad. It's not necessarily actually, for me, that pressure makes me a better person. It makes me a better artist. It makes, it's a personal thing as well as a professional thing. Because I can't even address the professional of musically unless I address me personally. So that's where I mean creating from the belly of the beast, having to face things about myself that I don't like, having to deal with my person, you know, me personally before I can create musically. And I don't create unless I do address those things. Like I go and I will detox for months at a time so that I can create, you know, like all of that is important to me. And that's what I mean when I say creating from the belly of the beast, creating from a space that is uncomfortable and, but makes you a better person. When you say detox, mm. what do you mean by that? Like I went through, like when I was creating the score for autobiography, I went vegan for three months. I completely just, and I only drank water and I only ate fruit and I only ate vegetables. That's all I did. And I just, I had to detox because I knew I didn't want to be no, you know, I wanted to be as toxin free as I could while I was creating that. I'm going to do the same thing when I create um, my third album. Um, I just, I think that process just works for me a, a lot better. Uh, just to let's just rewind a second ago you said um, about not reusing patterns from different yeah. tracks so on. Um, let's just it'd be a good moment to talk about the 4D show that you're putting on because uh, you were explaining to me before quite the amount of work that it takes can yeah, you tell me what you were saying about the, <laughs> what's in a track yeah because for me okay and I actually showed this on Instagram because sometimes, I don't know if you guys know, I do these little Instagram live things sometimes and where I'm actually creating. And I went and I showed, um, I, was, I pulled up a track and I think it had, how many patterns? It had about 647 patterns and it, there were about 900 or so sequences. And, but all of my tracks are like that. But the thing about it is when I say that, if you listen to my work though, it doesn't sound unbelievable because all of my stuff is so layered, you know? And, but I go through and make every last one of those sequences, like from scratch. I don't go in and say, 
and midi myself and say, okay, I'm going to snatch this midi, that midi, that midi, that midi, that midi. Like, I'm like, no, like I literally go that track. That, that's why it takes me so long to make a song. I start from, you know, from start to finish. It's all freshly made you know and so. it's like intuitive just as that you're going yeah because it, it is it's like starting it's like when you like a writer when they start a their first they're looking for what is that first sentence and then that's when I, as soon as I find that first sentence now I can continue writing until I put the period on the end of it yeah and so for this 4d sound show you're having to kind of go through all of these yes I have to break I had to break each one of those tracks down yeah which was <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's just say, um, that was, <laughs> I just, I, I did, and the thing about it was I did it in three days, which really, it's it probably, in my, realistically, I should have probably done it in like three weeks, but I did it in three days, which was quite hectic. Because, and the reason I did it like that, my schedule is so hectic, like last year and this year is just ridiculously. So like I, like I told you, I was on the road last year for it. Ten and a half months. So yeah. And this is where your ninety-six hour weeks built some stamina. You, so you're just <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Um, so I mean, Holly Herndon is is another artist who I guess is quite concerned with breaking free of, of genre in some ways. She's she collaborates in quite conceptual ways. Um, she uses technology and quite kind of she's very cutting edge with technology. Um, I mean, you've known her for ages. Yeah, me and Holly like we. Oh yeah, that's the homie. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's my sister right there. That's the homie Holly. How, how did you find each other, and when when was that? Um, I had just finished Erotic Heat, and um, she hit me up, and she was like, "Hi, I normally don't introduce myself to people, <laughs> but my name is Holly Herndon, and I just want to tell you this track. This track is really, you know, she was like, I love this track, and we just started like that, and you know, we just we kept in communication, and um. Next thing I knew, she's like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna just like shoot you some stems. And that's when Expand came along. And so then when Expand we- Expand being the New York Expand. Times' number eight track of 2015. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So that came Casual. along. Casual. Casual, yeah. No, 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 that's nothing. No, I'm just joking. But, um, but yeah, that's, you know, that, um, that came along into play. And we just, as a, a lot of people don't know, me and Holly were actually trying to go to Mills um, college at one time together <laughs> we were trying to go and um, she actually ended up going and I actually I, I didn't but um, we were both actually like trying to do that at the time but um, we just I think we just took a chance on each other and expand being one of the like when I, we did that track it was just one of those things where it was just like hey I trust you you trust me let's just work it out. It's like, okay. What did you do? Just send files back and forth? Yeah, we were just sending, yeah. She literally just shot me like a whole thing of files that she was like, she was like, I know you're going to think I'm weird, but I'm going to just shoot you like all of my stamps. <laughs> so it was a lot of stuff. It was actually so funny. So she, she picked the right person to deal with a lot of stamps. Yeah, right? she like, definitely picked the right person <laughs> for sure. But yeah, and then like when we did 1%, it was just basically like literally, that actually was the weirdest thing how that happened because I was at her house and sometimes me and when I'm in when I'm here in Berlin me and Holly will go live on Instagram and people tend to freak out because usually I'm by myself but then like the last time we did it we were just we both had on hoodies and like people were like yo is that Holly Herndon I'm like yeah and we just it was literally I was on my way out the door geared to go back to my hotel and she's like hey I'm gonna shoot you some stems hey um you do what you want with and I'm like yeah okay I'll put them on the album and then it actually really did come into play so yeah we just do that as someone who obviously works on their own a lot, mm. I mean, how important is it for you to have someone who kind of knows you that well and, and you can collaborate with still? Um, it's really important. Actually, um, it's Holly being one of the people, like probably if I could make have a track with her on every album, I probably would. Like, <laughs> we, I probably would. Um, Holly's one of my favorite artists and um, for sure, like not just because she's my friend, but also um, because she is such a conceptual and her, her, the, the way, her usage of technology is just so genius. It's such a, she you know, does it in such, such a way that only Holly can do it. Nobody else can emulate what it is that she does because she, you know, it, sometimes it gets so 
in, so intense that like it's like I think even she gets confused sometimes because she's just like oh shit I didn't mean for this to happen but it sounds great so <laughs> you know yeah those are always happy moments for an artist for sure um Sometime around that point, you were studying engineering. Yeah, I was in um, architectural engineering. Architectural and, engineering. And I was, yeah, minored in math. Um, I mean, this kind of seems too obvious, but it's like there's something about architectural engineering that maps on pretty strongly with, um, with this. And like you were saying, you know, maths and music. Maths people are often music people in a, mm. in a certain way. Yeah. Um, how does that actually work when you're in the studio? Because do you find that you get maybe lost in detail? Like, how do you keep control of kind of big picture? The big picture? Um, you can get lost, but usually when I'm at the point where I get lost, I'm like, okay, that's it, I'm going to the movies. I need to go do something. Let me, I need to watch Scooby-Doo. I need to do something. Like, I just, like, that's been my wind down lately. Like, lately I've been like, I've, I literally have bought every Scooby-Doo episode from 1970. <laughs> to 1973 because those were the best editions like when my mom was like in like finishing up like high school and all that stuff so I I was like that is the way I unwind now I literally watch Scooby-Doo episodes and um I'm not ashamed to say it and if you have a cartoon that you like to watch I think you should watch it don't be ashamed guys Um, and this is just a really straightforward question, but like, how, how long does it take you to make a track? Jesus Christ. Guantanamo was eight months. Eight months with two different versions. Um, the first version, I absolutely hated. The second version, which was the one that you guys have, um, that I, it, it took months to make that. Um, but the the that first overture track, the one that's on auto for um that's on autobiography, which is the first track to the score, it took me a um a day and a half. So it just depends on honestly either what mood I'm in. Like when I created the track Black Origami, it became an overwhelming thing. Like I had to walk out of the room many times so I can like take a deep breath and then come back and do it. I don't know for whatever reason that track just made me overwhelmed, but you know, it's just a moody thing, I think. <laughs> I just want to quite quickly mention R.P. Boo at this juncture. I, I wanted to speak to you a bit about R.P. Boo because, like you say, mm. he was kind of a kind of a mentor to you. But I'm very mm. wary of that framing of the young female artist with a male mentor, which is, you know, can easily get recycled by journalists. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know that he was uh, quite instrumental in in bringing you to the kind of uh, the next stage, particularly with DJing. No, the um, what happened was okay. So like, as, as some of you guys may not know, like when I was creating music, I actually didn't know how to perform at all. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just we won't even talk about that face. But I didn't know how to perform. So, like, I actually went to his house. And he ta- I had one lesson and him teaching me how to um, DJ on the, on the 1200s, actually. And when I figured out that this was nothing but a thing of timing and... Uh, and basically, right, and it was just a matter of my emotion catching up with my thinking. So... I went and I, I went home and I I bought a um, a MIDI control what was that uh, the, the Newmark Pro Mix I think Pro Two at the time and I went and got it and I was just practicing 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 and I just couldn't get it for the life of me and then he introduced me to this beautiful thing called Cue Points and then <laughs> I just kind of from that point when he was like yeah you just set your cues and then that way you know you know where to come in and where he said and then eventually you're going to get to a point where you don't even need the cue points because you know your sound so well you can just emphasize you know do what you like and so when I did get to that point I was like oh wow you know this is really easy and then what happened was I Mutech um, festival in Montreal had a show and they were like well I know you DJ but this is really a show where you play live. And I was like, okay. And they were like, well, do you want to do it? And I'm like, well, I don't know how to play live. And they were like, um, but do you want to learn? And I was like, yeah, okay. So I basically agreed to a show before I even knew how to play live, which I didn't used to talk about this, but it's okay now. <laughs> but yeah, I agreed to a show that I didn't even know how to do it. So yeah, I ended up, and then I got introduced to uh, Ben Casey from Ableton. 
and um, Ben took me under his wing immediately. I said, Ben, this is where I'm at. I got to learn how to do this show. I got three weeks to learn how to perform live. Can you help me? He's like, oh, absolutely. And so Ben Casey actually went and was like, he, we would get on Skype call for a whole week. And literally, he showed me everything that I needed to do. And we broke down my tracks and everything. And it's been a joy ride ever since. <laughs> So three three weeks to learn it. Yes, like I had to I had to learn like everything in my life is like that. It seems like I have to learn it in like three weeks, and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, you have two hours to learn how to do this, and it's like this is insane. But yes, yeah, the way my life works. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can also I just I just want to add that I can completely corroborate this story because um, a while back I interviewed R. P. Boo and asked him this question, mm -hmm. and he said that he basically showed you the controller. And you're like, okay, right, yeah. And you went away, and three weeks later, you came back, and he was like, you're ready. Yeah, he literally, I called him. <laughs> what happened was I called him on the phone, and I was like, okay, I want you to do, I said, I want you to listen to this. And we were talking about something totally different. It had nothing to do with, we were talking just like our normal conversations. And I was blending while we were talking, and he's like, do you realize that we went through like 10 songs, and you, he said, you haven't missed a beat. And I was like, he's like, you got it. You know how to DJ now. Go. <laughs> so he like, didn't need him. Like, he wasn't like, a He literally was just like, okay, go. You got it. Don't. He said, you, he, you absolutely had it. So yeah, it was, it was very, I really appreciate him for that. Like to this day, like he's always like, if I need him, he, he's always there. So it's, yeah. And do you feel like you're in a position now where it's your turn to be kind of mentoring? <laughs> I'm too silly to mentor anybody. You know, honestly, I'm serious. Like, if you've ever seen me on Instagram Live, I'm probably one of the silliest people I know. Like, I will sit there and explain something in production and then go from doing that to talking about how um, cancers are crybabies. Like, it's just... <laughs> Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm so silly. But no, honestly, though, when a person does that, they need something, or if you ask me something, um, I will, you know, I, I'll, de you know, definitely explain it to you as much as I can. But as far as me actually mentoring somebody, I think I still have some growing up to do myself before I can go and sit down and say, I'm going to mentor this person. Plus, it, I think if I mentor you, you got to be crazy as hell anyway, because, like, <laughs> I'm pretty crazy, I have to say. <laughs> Out of all of the collaborations that I have done up until this point, every last person who has collaborated with me has never micromanaged me. Because I think they realize you, and it's just not just with me, but with, with anybody you work with, when you approach somebody, I think you'll get the best work out of that person if you don't micromanage them. And so they never micromanaged me. Like, William never, he just wanted, he also, like Holly, gave me some stems and was like, go. I just want to see what you can do. He had no idea that it would come back sounding like that, though. And when I sent it to him, I remember, I, he, he said, I'm going to listen to it. I texted him. I said, okay, I sent you the track. I'm going to listen to it. And he said, and then I'll let you know what I think. And I said, yeah, please do. So I was sitting there for four minutes, nervous as hell. So <laughs> the longest four minutes of my life. And so I remember he got, he sent me this text back and it was in all caps, call me right now. And so I was like, oh shit. You know? <laughs> so I called him and he was like, this is one of the most epic things I've ever heard. And when, I, when he said that to me, I was like, I don't know what I thought. I don't know if I thought he, if he started speaking another language or what happened, but it was, I couldn't believe that he liked it. Cause I mean, I loved it when I was done with it, but he literally, he was like, this is amazing. He said, he was like, this is why I trust you to do this. He said, because it's not, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't just hand my work to anybody, but I, you know, I really trusted you to deliver just like you did. And so, yeah, it was. Um, can you break down a bit more about how your style kind of evolved? The percussion in particular, yeah. Everybody is like, I'm kind of known for like my percussion and the way that I use percussion. And one of the reasons I use percussion that's from all over. I use Indian percussion. I use African percussion. I use Brazilian percussion. Now um, I have, um, I'm going to start incorporating um, you know, Persian percussion and just, you know, different. I use taiko drums. I love percussion from all over the world. So that is where the, like, the evolution of when my sound really started evolving is because I stopped using just certain things. I started going all over the diaspora, you know, percussion-wise. And that's where it, I, could, I could hear the evolution of my sound starting to take shape where I can hear and say, ah, okay, now I hear me now. 
you know. And so and, and even that is going to evolve. I mean, you know that it that's that's the whole beauty of it. I feel like if you ever want to know if you're doing it right, are you evolving? Can you hear your growth? Because that is what's important. Because if you can't hear your growth, then you've been sitting in the same spot for the last two albums or five years or whatever. Like, you know, that it, it might be time to come out of your comfort zone, you know, yeah. Um, so your next album mm. kind of is this ballet score, autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's not really my third album, but it's yeah, the, not, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. The next yeah, on yeah. the list. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's out this month, right? Later, later yes, this month. Yes, on the 28th of, um, on the 28th of this month, actually. Plug. Yeah, um, <laughs> plug. And it's a score for a ballet by Wayne McGregor, who is a very acclaimed uh, choreographer and dancer. Uh, it's, it was quite funny. I remember now that um, there's this show... Uh, on the radio in the UK called mm. Desert Island Discs. It probably mm-hmm. gets syndicated to other places. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, it's it's on Radio 4, so it's it's for, like, maybe older people having their breakfast on a Friday morning. <laughs> and he picked a Jalen tune as one of the tunes that he would not be without on a desert island. And I, I kind of love the idea of, like, <laughs> my 80-year-old auntie putting Desert Island Discs on in the morning and turning it off immediately. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about... The ballet itself, autobiography? Yeah, the autobiography is not your typical autobiography. It's actually based on um, Wayne's entire uh, genome, co- genome code, basically. He had got his entire reading back um, from, from a, um, I think his professor was from Harvard University, if I'm not mistaken. And that's what the ballet is based on. So, like, it was such a. <sighs> That's one of the most intimate things that you can, just the fact that he, you know, like honestly trusted me to do that. This was such an intimate thing. I mean, your reading of your code of who you are as a being. And um, let me just start by saying that that is, um, that, that's a very intimate thing and I didn't take it lightly. Um, so he actually had me um, read this book um, called, um, I can't, I can never think of the author's name, but it's called The Gene. And... I read it, and and when I read it, a lot of it made me, um, it made me very, it made me feel different things. It made me f- understand why we're in the state we're in now, for the most part, as as far as society goes. But um, as far as with Wayne, like it it made me see him in a different light. Like when I first met him initially in downtown Chicago, we met face to face, and um, we were talking. This was at the end of this was October of 2016, and we met face to face, and. When I met him, immediately I can tell his energy was just like mine. And we just, we just hit it off like immediately. And he just wanted me to, I asked him, I'm like, I'm like, you know, what do you want me to do, blah, blah, blah. He said, I just want you to create. I, I, that's all I want you to do. He said, this is the ballet. This is what it's about. There's the book. I want you to create. That's it. Like it was just that cut and dry. And I'm like, well, you know, what is, he, you know, what do you, you know, it has to be more to it than that. And he's like, no, I just want you to create. And so I did. And yeah. Um, I know that there are several participants here who mentioned that they make music for theatre. Mm. Um, and I guess I just wondered if, if that, how does that change how you approach it? Are you thinking more visually? Oh, it, it changes you as an artist. It changes you because your, your, your approach changes. You, the way you see things change. It, this definitely changed, the, this ballet changed me as an artist, absolutely. Um, because I, I hear differently now. I, I think differently, I see differently. My audio and my visual are, they have become one instead of them being two separate things. So it's, yeah, it, it changes you. So you didn't, you didn't have a brief from him as such? Um, no, like I like as far as like did I know him before? His no, as work? in, um, I mean, did he? How strict were his instructions of what he wanted? Just no, that was it. He just wanted me to. He said, I, I basically, I want you to do you. Like that was his instruction. I think, and the reason being because, like I said before, I think when a, when you um, if you trust an artist, I think, and especially if, if you guys in here who creative, all of you creator, every everybody's artistic in some way, whether you know it or not, but. If nothing is worse, and I'm sure that all of you can relate, than when somebody's standing over your shoulder micromanaging you. Because if I trust you to do something, if I'm like I'm looking at all of you guys, if I trust you all, if I if especially if I initially approached you first and I trust you to do something, 
then I trust you to do it. I'm not going to then stand over you and say, do this, this, A, B, C. It's, it's, it's because I'm not going to get your best work if I'm micromanaging you. And that's the way Wayne was with me. He just, that's why he told me to just create. And he, he, the only person he wanted involved in me creating was me and him. That was, he didn't want any middleman whatsoever. And so, and I, and I, I'm so grateful for that because you don't get that a lot, especially in this industry. Most people, they say they want you to work and then you get in the middle of a project and then the project sometimes is shot to hell because you're being micromanaged. And it's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking direction. I get that. But if a, when, you, when you're looking at a person's style and who their identity is and this is why you chose this person to work, then trust them to be them. And... It just, it, it, it saves a lot of time and a lot of emotion and just trust that person to be themselves, yeah. What is it like to see people dancing to your music? Does it, and is there a feedback loop? Are you making music for people to dance to? Are you visualizing? Um, I love movement. I love, um, but that can be, when I say movement, that can be so broad as the way that a person, you know, is sitting from the way that a person blinks their eyes and the way that a person moves their hands when they talk. So I love movement. So for, for me, I didn't start off creating so people could dance. I just really was inspired by um, just movement. Um, I love watching a person in their, just their most, in their, human form and then they're not even they don't even realize what they're doing but they just being they're utterly they're they're at their most innocent selves and I love when I see that and so that that's one of the things that when I like to create around like spaces like that so when I was doing you know working with um Wayne and when I actually got to meet like the dancers and stuff when I actually watched this I was like oh my God, this matches, this is so in sync, I can't even begin to tell you how in sync <laughs> it, it, it is. And um, these are the, the, the best dancers in the world, you know, to be amongst um, them is, was, is such a high honor. And then, you know, Wayne being who he is, but, you know, the, the movement, when I see people in movement, I love it and I really love now when I see people who tag me on Instagram who dance now because they've seen this, they're inspired now where they actually tag me on Instagram, hey, Jalen, I was dancing to your track. Hey, Jalen, check this out. Like they, or they'll instant, you know, either message me or just tag me randomly that they were dancing. And I love that. I love that I evoke that in, peop, you know, in, um, in, in different choreographers around the world. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you did that was new for you on this score is uh, you made some ambient pieces. Yes, I did. Which is kind of getting out of your comfort zone with no drums there. To... Yeah, actually, it's not even out of a comfort zone thing. I'm, 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 that's what I meant when I said the duality and versatility. I'm, I have always been that person. I've just never displayed it until now. Yeah. And you had the... the uh... <laughs> Well, it was quite convenient because you were able to send your very first ambient track to Basinski to check out. Yeah, 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 I did. <laughs> yes, I did. And he told me to, when I first sent it to him, his response to me was, he was like, it's beautiful, but let it breathe. Let the track breathe. He said, let it do its thing. And I said, and when I went back and I listened to what, I knew exactly what he meant. And I said, okay. And yeah. And then when I sent it to him again, he's like, that's what I'm talking about. Nailed it to a T. Yeah. <laughs> what makes you angry? What makes me angry? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, everything these days. No, but <laughs> no, actually, um, I think I, I don't think I don't I guess I don't consider my work to be angry. I think it's just. I think I have a, a boldness to my sound, so I think it comes out. It just I'm I have a I have a there's a boldness about me personally. And I think it just exerts audibly. It's not that I mean for it to be angry or any of that. Actually, I don't see it as angry at all. I just see it as me just kind of, I guess, maybe the sounds that I, excuse me, uh, choose to use, I guess they would sound angry and they're not like playful or like, I guess, jolly in a way. Um, I think, um, I, but I don't think it's anger. I really do just think it's me 
creating from the core of myself, but I don't find it to be angry because I find it to be a very, um, just, you know, sharing, I guess. And um, I think what happens is, I'll be honest with you, when I first initially came out, especially like when Erotic Heat and all that stuff came out, for two years, everybody thought I was a guy. Um, because of the way that my music sounds, it was just naturally assumed that I was a guy. And then when I was, they found out I was a woman, I remember, I'll never forget Rashad saying, saying to me, he said, well, shit, out of the 12 men that's in the room, Jayla knocks 10 of them out by herself. And, you know, it's, it, that was to me, and I wasn't, I didn't mean to, but that is the way that it, you know, I, um, just, I never meant it to be like a, such a, 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 I guess it to be a masculine or a feminine thing. I just meant it to be a me thing. And, and you know, that's just the way I, I create. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a sense of uh, when a woman makes music that's like that, it gets read into more deeply. Completely. Like, it, it definitely gets um, gone into the, you know, like a, it becomes a, um, automatically, because this is already such a male-dominant genre, I automatically just kind of, um, when I first started, I, I just automatically got placed into that. Oh, yeah, Jalen's a guy I used to get that. I mean, people used to actually write me and be like, man, that's an awesome track, bro. What's up, bro? Like, and I'm just like, hey. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm a woman. Um. <laughs> I think as well there is a tendency to... Um, uh, well, with writers and, and so on, to assume that when women make music, it's autobiographical and confessional, and, and that men don't have that, that uh, responsibility to, to only be themselves. They can speak for others as well. Right, exactly. So it's, it's just kind of, I, yeah, I definitely, I went into, I had to, you know, go into that phase, and then it was like, you know, then it almost went into the phase of like, I mean, I've dealt with the, you know, and I try not to dwell on it, but like, you, you know, at the beginning, like, it's, not like that now, but I was definitely hitting with that chauvinism of um, that. Uh, man, you make you make man for you make good tracks for a girl, and it's like, you know, what does that even mean? And then like pronounces out of ten, the person you you go who said that to you, it's like, do you even make music or like is this you know it's just and it's like oh no actually I, I don't and it's like I mean you know it, that's kind of a I think that's a ridiculous statement you know. Um, on on a possibly related note, but. Uh, you you'd mentioned this as something that you were interested to talk about mm. and basically I think a topic that's come up more frequently um, recently is the relationship between musicians and their own mental health and things that happen mm. to musicians in their daily life perhaps when they're touring 10 months out of a year yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah and I, I, I wanted to ask you first of all what do you think puts musicians at risk in terms of their own mental health um, I think one of the things that put, puts us at risk is that we say yes more than we should. That's, that's one. I definitely think we say yes more than we should. And also, too, it doesn't help when you get to a place, because this has often happened to me where I've literally almost was like, yo, I'm about to fly back home because I'm not, you know. We become, we're not assembly line performers. We have feelings too, we get tired, we get emotional. We, because we're on the road and we are traveling so much, we live in airports, you know, it's, <laughs> we, we have feelings too, we also have a breaking point, you know, I'm not just a little jack in the box that every time you wind me up, I pop out and play. And that's what a lot of people don't understand, you know. I might have had a show at two o'clock in the morning, finished playing at three and my flight was at, at, at six. You know, and then I'm expected to then come into sound check. My flight is two hours, and then sound check is, is at 11 o'clock. I never slept the night before. And so what happens is, is, you know, and we'll do that night after night after night after night. That's why a lot of times artists end up on drugs because they're trying, simply because they're trying to stay awake. And that's, you know, it's, that's important. So a lot of times we say, I have learned, I've learned to say no you know, more, you know, because the word no can save your life. And it's you, you know, a lot of times, and I've even had to apologize to promoters and people, well, not even just the promoters, but people who have had to come and pick me up from the airport because I'm so tired and I'm so grumpy, you know, and they don't, it's not their fault. They just come in to pick you up, you know, but not, and I have had to say, I'm so sorry. It's just that 
I haven't slept. I like I literally have done this three nights in a row back to back. And so and, you know, like when a person, you know, you I hate to say it, but, you know, you there you to do a show. And that's great. You know, you do the show, you perform the show, you get through it. But see, a lot of times, you know, you your immune system now is so low because you haven't slept. You're so tired. You're exhausted. I mean, I just came from Uganda. You know, I just got in yesterday. And so, you know, it's just you have to take that time out where you say, okay, I need a day. So now what I do is the way that I, that I do a show is if I have a show, I'm always make sure I'm there the day before the show. So then I have a whole day's time plan to rest. Then I can go into the show and then fly and do that whole process because it was just too hard. You know, it's too hard. Like if you're doing a back to back and you just got like a, a one or two off, you know, and then that's it. It's so it's okay, but you have to take care, take care and make sure, you know, you put you first. Um, you have to know when to stop. You have to know when to create, you know, you know when to sit still. And I hate to, you know, and I, and I don't mean any respect, disrespect to anybody in the room, you know, but drugs are not the answer. That's just not the answer. And um, you can take as many as you want. You're not a, you, you are a human being. At the end of the day, when those drugs wear off, you're still a human being. And you are not Superman or Superwoman. You have to say, you have to take that time for yourself. It is so imperative that you take that time for yourself. And have you kind of worked out little, little routines, little tips and tricks to kind of keep you, keep you in the, in the... Oh, yeah. Like now, like, you know, just with the, the way that I plan logistically as far as the shows that I pick, like I'm not going to, um, I was doing it crazy last year because like I would fly home sometimes and sometimes I, I would fly home just for three days just to get a peace of mind so I could come back out on the road. But now like what I do is like um, one of my favorite places in Europe I love to stay is in Krakow. So when I'm, <laughs> when I'm in Europe, I'll, I have a, uh, this one Airbnb that I love to stay in. So I'll stay in that Airbnb and I'll stay there for a week and I'll just rest. I mean, I just love the city of Krakow, to be honest. Um, and so, you know, I just, I take that time for myself. I rest, I read. Meditating is a big one. Um, you know, just be, you know, sitting still and saying, it's okay. Like it used to be, it's, you know, like in, if you are in town, I know I get it. Like, like when I'm in town, especially when I'm in Berlin, you know, every, it's almost, I hate to say it, God, this is so bad, but I'm sure a lot of you guys kind of know it. It's kind of like the ongoing joke now that every artist lives in Berlin. So it's just, it's just like, you know, like, because I mean, and it's just, um, you don't, you know, even when, like when I'm here, I just, I don't, you know, I even sometimes I'm, I'm hesitant to tell people that I'm here because everybody wants to hang out. And sometimes I just have to say no. Like, I, you know, I just I need I need a minute to myself. You know, we're not as artists. Like I said, every every person is an artist in a room of creative in their own space. We are not jack in the boxes. It's OK to say no. You don't have to. If you need to take a nap, take a nap. Like the, to me, naps answer everything. Take a nap. <laughs> well, I was going to ask. Finally, if you had any advice for your younger self, but maybe it's take a nap. <laughs> yeah, well, no, for my younger self, um, if I had to give myself advice, it would be to embrace your failure. Definitely embrace your failure because that is, your failure is more important than your success. You have to fail. You have to fail. And I would give any artist that advice, anybody who's doing anything that they, you know, are trying to better themselves or trying to sculpt and craft you have to, that failure is so much more important than your success. I'm sure you guys have seen the picture where there's an iceberg that's sitting at the top of the water and then all that ice runs so deep under the water. Well, what's important is that ice that's under the water that you don't see. So, so many times we talk to people who are, you know, of a, you know, a, a, on a platform and you talk to them, but everybody only wants to talk about their success. Nobody wants to talk about the failure that they had to go through to get to that point. Because you're still, even when you, even, I have, I still have failures. I still go through the, some of the, you know, the craziest things. I mean, you have failures within yourself, whether it be personally or professionally or whatever. I mean, you, you have them and acknowledge them and understand that they, you know, those are learning experiences and they make you a better person. And I hate the way that society identifies failure because 
it means like it almost becomes an instant gratification thing. If it didn't happen, you failed. No. The only time you fail in is when you make a conscious decision to stand still and be stagnant. That is the only time you're failing. Any other time other than that, you are making a step towards what you're trying to do. And I just, if I could tell younger me that, I would tell me that, and I would tell you guys that, that embrace your failures. There's nothing wrong with it. There is, don't take it, you know, we live in, this, in a society where every other person has anxiety. And you can look at the world, and if the person, if you, if, I hate to say it, but shit, if you don't have anxiety, I, I, I have almost questioned what world do you live in? So it's just, um, but you know, it's just like embrace your failures. It's because they're so, they're so important to you. They, they, they really are. And like I said, it's not, you know, you're not failing. You're not, you're not standing stagnant. You, you are doing what you're supposed to do. It just didn't happen when it, you thought it should. But that doesn't mean stop, keep going. Please keep going because, I mean, I never would have thought that I would be in this position, first of all, to sit to, from, a, from an artist that went from their bedroom, who still makes music in their bedroom, as you guys, some of you guys know, to sitting in front of you having this conversation. This is, a, it's a, this is an intimate thing. This is not, you know, just a, a production or something or a, an academic learning experience. This is real life. Hell, I sit down and it takes me you know, hours upon hours to create. And, you know, don't let these like silly, you know, those, those silly ass YouTube videos you see where artists sits down and in two minutes they have a whole track. That's not even realistic. What they didn't show you were the edit cuts that they took out. Um, but, you know, so it's just that th th that's real life. And I like the fact that, you know, I, lo I love settings like this where you can sit down and have real conversations with people because it's so important. We have to talk to each other, we have to communicate with each other, it's so important, the other person doesn't know that I might be, you know, yo, I'm going through the same thing too, but no, you know, you're the first person I ever heard talk about it, it's, this is real life, and you know, embrace it, because we all going through it, we're all evolving, and you know, like I said, I really appreciate every last one of y'all coming out here, because it's important to me, I mean, I know what I know, but I also, I, it's, this is a learning experience for all of us, and you know, I'm just, I'm grateful to like every last one of y'all for coming out and sharing this with me. Yeah. Uh, go forth and fail. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Jalen. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Chal Ravens again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you a bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-travelling series of music workshops and events. If you want to find out more, check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on the podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us while you're at it. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Finally, there's a whole other world of great music programming like this to check out at redbullradio.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.